Hello, homemaker. Welcome to the Art of Home podcast, where we are exploring how homemakers cultivate a place to belong. I'm your host, Allison Weeks. I am a wife, a mom to four grown-up kids, a grandmother to one baby boy who's coming very soon, and I've been practicing the art of home for over 30 years. I'm in my 31st year of homemaking as we just celebrated our 30th anniversary this summer. I'm so glad that you joined me today on the podcast. I'm going to be chatting with seasoned homemaker Betty Hicks all about her journey of making a home. But before we get to Betty's story, here's just a few updates and reminders about the podcast. This is episode five of season nine, and we have one more episode coming next Wednesday before we take a two-week break. When I come back in mid-November, I will have two new homemaker portraits for you. Then we will begin our second annual holiday homemaking series. That's where I talk to all of the women that I have interviewed over the past year about all things Christmas in their homes. I will also share with you some poems and recipes and some practical ideas and suggestions to help you practice your art of holiday homemaking. My goal is to help you move from a place of hurry and worry during the Christmas season to a place of joy and anticipation that is reflected in your homemaking. Now, our first of the four holiday homemaking episodes of this year will not air until November 30th, but if you are just itching to get into the holiday spirit and start getting some inspiration, you can go listen to our 2021 holiday homemaking series, which will be in the back catalog wherever you're listening to this podcast. So just go into the show on your app and scroll back to last December and you'll see all four episodes of 2021 holiday homemaking. To make sure that you're up to date on all that's going on on the podcast and what's coming up on the podcast, sign up for our free weekly newsletter, Homemaker Happy Mail. It goes out on Friday mornings during regular seasons, and it's full of info on our latest guest, including any recipes or resources that they shared. The newsletter is the only place that you're going to get that. And then I recently started sharing some home and family-themed fine art on the newsletter, The Charlotte Mason homeschooler in me just cannot help herself. I also share a weekly resource roundup, which can be anything from recipes to homemaking YouTube channels, articles, podcasts, books, all kinds of things. Whatever I come across that week that I think would be helpful for you, I share it in the resource roundup. And finally, there's usually an original article or reflection related to homemaking, either written by me or a guest contributor. Lots of great exclusive content in the newsletter that you're not going to find anywhere else. Currently, none of this is on the website, maybe one day, but for now, you can access the free resource by signing up using the link in the notes or go to theartofhomepodcast.com slash subscribe. On to today's guest. I am talking with Betty Hicks, who has been keeping a home with her husband, Dan, for 37 years. I met Betty in women's Bible study almost 10 years ago. She's a mom, she's a grandmother, a retired military analyst, a breast cancer survivor, and a published author. She and Dan started their married life by making a home in Germany just before the end of the Cold War. But the most dramatic change came when both she and Dan had separate encounters with Jesus and began to follow and obey Him in every aspect of life. We will hear all about that and more in Betty's Story of Home. 
Okay, I'm here with my friend, Betty Hicks. And Betty, before we go back to the beginning of your homemaker story, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are today? Okay. I am a child of God saved by His grace in 1991. That's because my parents prayed for me many years um, Mm -hmm. that I would uh, be saved. Mm. Also, I'm a wife to Dan of 37 years, and I thank God that both of us have walked with the Lord and grown closer to Jesus Christ and to each other over the years. I'm a mom to my son Keith, who is 52, and a Mimi to his children, Cole, 16, and Molly, 14. Also mom to daughter Lainey of 49 years, and Mimi to her children, Hunter, 19, and Miranda, 13. And my stepson, John, of 51 years, and Mimi to his children, Sarah, 16, and Matthew, 14. Mm. After retiring as a civilian with the United States Air Force in 2003, I have become more active in volunteering and serving the Lord. Now I am a small group Bible study leader for Hillside Ladies, part of the welcome team, and serve on the board for the awe ministry. I exercise a lot. I think I'm just fighting getting older. <laughs> I currently use the gym and attend classes, including my favorite, line dancing. Oh. As a member of the Blue Bonnet Miata Club, I help host various events, including a monthly ladies' gathering. Mm-hmm. Dan and I consider our car club as a mission field. And also, I love praise and worship music. I'm just going to name three of my favorites, okay. but there are so many. Uh-huh. Um, How Great Thou Art, uh, In Christ Alone, mm-hmm. and Bless the Lord, O My Soul, 10,000 Reasons. Mm, those are good ones. And I love to read. I read Christian fiction, and I read nonfiction, uh, but mostly for relaxation, which is In the evening, right before bedtime, I read Christian fiction because it relaxes me. Mm -hmm. Uh, My favorite authors are Jan Carone, Mm -hmm. who wrote the Mitford series, Mm -hmm. Karen Kingsbury, who has written about many tough issues in life, Uh, Colleen Coble, who writes Christian romance, Randy Alcorn, my favorite of his books are Safely Home and Heaven, Mm -hmm. and Anne Graham Lotz, uh, her most recent, is called The Light of His Presence. Mm. Those are some great recommendations. I am a huge Mitford fan. I have read them all through the whole series once, and then I have listened to them all, uh, the audiobook version, once. And I just, I feel like I'm among old friends when I read those books. I feel the same. They're so good. They're so good. And line dancing. Betty. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so does Dan do that with you? You and Dan do that together? No, it's all ladies. It's all ladies? All ladies. Oh, that's yes. so fun. It is great fun. Do y'all wear boots? And No, we just... <laughs> actually, we, we wear tennis shoes uh-huh. or flats. But, okay. Yeah. 
I mean, is it mostly country line dancing or is it all kinds? All kinds. Okay. We so have, we have an instructor who's a, a, a dancer by uh-huh. career. She did ballet and flamenco and all kinds of things. And she comes up with just new dances to different types of music and Mm -hmm. it's loads of fun that's so fun so when you go to weddings you're the one out there that knows all the line dances i know i know several of them by now (laughs) yes that's so great i love that okay well thank you for sharing about all those wonderful things happening in in your life and um your, your family and your grandchildren. And that's, I'm sure we'll talk more about them as we get into this. But let's go back to the beginning. And why don't you tell us, when did you first become a homemaker? Well, I feel like I became a homemaker when I was in middle school mm-hmm. because I had three siblings okay. uh, who were younger than me. And my mom helped my dad work at his tire shop, tire repair shop. Uh, So I cooked and cleaned for them during the summers. Mm -hmm. Um, I learned to cook by helping mom prepare family meals. And I did take home economics classes for a couple years during junior high school days. That included cooking and sewing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When I married in 1966, I guess I became an official homemaker Uh, while working full-time at Kelly Air Force Base here in San Antonio. Then from 1976 to 1985, I was a single parent. And I I thank God for my parents and my siblings for helping out since I did work full-time and often traveled with my work. Mm -hmm. I met Dan at work in 1984, And we were married in March of 1985. We immediately traveled to West Berlin, Germany for a three-year assignment there. On our first Thanksgiving, I called my mom to make sure I was preparing the turkey and stuffing properly (laughs) because until then, I helped her, but I did bits and pieces, like chopping this and chopping that. You were her sous chef. Yes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's interesting. So you did have some skills, which you learned in home ec classes, and then you got to apply in your own family as the big sister, helping out at home. Um, Was there anything that you had a real steep learning curve for coming in as a homemaker, you know, Sound like you knew how to cook, but was there anything else that was just a real challenge for you? I think the biggest challenge was just keeping it all together, mm-hmm. uh, organizing things, and um, trying to juggle work and clean, yeah. clean the house and mm-hmm. and plan and prepare the meals. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let's talk a little bit more about balance and priorities and goals in homemaking and. I already know that you did work outside the home. Um, what were some of the specific challenges that that presented? And, you know, what were some maybe some practical things that you did to help manage all of that, working outside the home and having children? Well, in the early years, it was a bit more difficult, but um, occasionally picking up a, a meal to go helped a lot, mm-hmm. just taking that home and 
relaxing a little bit and not having a mess to clean up before getting the kids ready for bed. Um, in in our later years, uh, when when we were in Germany, uh, there were so many things to go see and do that I didn't want to be tied to our apartment all weekend long. Yeah. And by then, yeah, by then uh, my son was 15 and my daughter was 12. And so I said, you know, it's time for y'all to start helping a bit more around here. Besides taking out the trash and vacuuming occasionally, um, I told each one that they could do their own laundry, mm-hmm. and they could do it any day they wanted to. There was a, a lot of washers and dryers down in the basement, and so that saved a load of time for me, mm-hmm. and we had more time to get out and just enjoy the forests that were nearby or the lake that was nearby or yeah, just do something. Yeah. It is that's a good incentive too to help your kids understand that, you know, mom can't do it all and if everybody pitches in then there's more time to play and do those fun kinds of things. So what was it yeah. like living in Germany? Cuz you were there in the 80s. Yes, we were there when the wall was up uh-huh. and it was so interesting to to meet um some of the Air Force men were married to German women, and so we got to meet a lot of families, uh, some of whom had relatives on the east side of that wall that they hadn't visited in years, mm. and that was a real sad thing. Yeah, um, We had the pleasure of being there and uh, being in attendance when uh, President Reagan came and gave his famous speech there and told Mr. Gorbachev to tear that wall down. Oh, my goodness. You were there for that? We were there for that speech. This was probably in 1987. Okay. We left in 1988. And the wall came down in 1989. Oh, my goodness. That's so cool. So you got to be around um, German culture, particularly meeting these couples the, where you had a, an American married to a German. Mm-hmm. What did you notice about their culture in their homes that maybe was different from what your experience had been in America? Uh, most of them were pretty much Americanized, it seemed, Um, uh, because of the, I guess, they'd been married to military Mm -hmm. men for for, for many years. But um, we did uh, enjoy meeting some of the locals that were not associated with the military at what was called the German-American Volksfest. Mm -hmm. And we got paired up with them to walk through where the food and the rides were. And we we thought it was interesting that they um, wanted American beer uh-huh. and American ice cream <laughs> while the Americans were looking for German beer and <laughs> European ice cream. Uh-huh. Um, but it was really fun getting to know them. And they were all... Um, the ones we met were appreciative of what the Americans did. Uh, we had a a couple of people talk at one of our gatherings um, 
who were children during the time when um, we came in and occupied mm, mm-hmm, Germany. Mm-hmm. And they, uh, they appreciated the Americans, not so much the Soviets. Mm, yeah, that's so interesting. So how long were you... When did you go? When did you get there? 85? 85 to 88. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then you came back to the States after that? We came back and then we were in Oklahoma for mm-hmm. five years. Okay. Okay. That's so interesting. So um, we go into marriage with certain expectations and we go into adulthood with certain expectations, but particularly marriage and family life and, and having our own home. And how did the day-to-day realities match your expectations of what that was going to look like? Um, when I first got married? Either or, either or, or both. <laughs> Whatever you're comfortable talking about. Well, I think in my first marriage, I was a little disappointed because it was harder for me uh, mm-hmm. working and trying to to become a homemaker, even yeah. though I knew how to cook and sew. But um, as time went on, I, I think the, the real challenge was just time management. Mm-hmm. And, and then in later years as a Christian, I found that it was a lot more pleasant to to do laundry and household chores if I just had praise and worship music playing. <laughs> yes, yes, it, that does make a big difference. And you started following Jesus what year? 1991. 91. I was 41 okay. years old. Okay. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Sure. Um, my parents were uh, Pentecostal, Okay. and I just, as a young adult, I just couldn't understand a lot of the legalism and things that were going on. And so when I moved away from home, I also moved away from church. And so I just uh, did my own thing for many years. And my parents prayed for me very faithfully um, all those years. Mm -hmm. And... um, and they were thrilled when um, I told them that Dan and I both had um, given our hearts to Jesus. And that happened while we lived in Oklahoma. And Dan was over serving in Desert Storm. Oh, okay. And I actually had a satellite um, dish installed in our backyard while he was gone so that I could watch CNN news. And uh, one night I was watching the news, and it was when Saddam Hussein set the oil fields on fire. I remember that. Mm -hmm. And it was so devastating. And I sat there, and I thought, is this the end of the earth? Is this the beginning of the end? Mm-hmm. Um, is Jesus going to come back soon? And I just turned off the TV, walked into my bedroom, got on my knees, and I said, 
Jesus, I give my heart and my life to you, and I will follow you the rest of my life. And about a week later, I got a letter from Dan, and he had flown a 16-hour mission on AWACS, and as they landed, there were Scud missiles uh, flying toward them, Mm -hmm. and he had what you would call a um, trench experience. Yeah. Um, and he pretty much said, Lord, if you'll get me safely out of this, I'll serve you the rest of my life. Mm. And so our marriage got better and better. And um, <laughs> we've just been so thankful ever yeah. since. That's an amazing story. And my parents were so thrilled. And when we moved back to San Antonio, I took them to Gaither concerts, and I did attend church with them occasionally, although some of the things that were going on were not real comfortable for me, Mm -hmm. but it made them happy. I love that your parents got to see um, you come to the Lord and see the some of the fruit of their prayers for all those years because um, parents don't always get to see that. And that's a real gift. Yes, I consider that a great gift. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your testimony. That's an amazing story. And you said your marriage got better. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just, I mean, I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, but just in a nutshell, how would you, what what was the biggest difference that you and Dan noticed in your day-to-day lives and your family and your home after that, those decisions were made for Christ? Well, you know, we'd kind of fallen into the party atmosphere. Um, the, the military was known for a lot of drinking and parties and, um, so we would go to the officers' club on Friday nights and um, party with all the others. And um, so after we got saved and um, started thinking about those things, we said, okay, we won't go every Friday, but we'll go if somebody gets promoted and we'll just have a a soda or something. Mm-hmm. And so we went to a promotion party, and we sat there chatting for a few hours and started looking around at how ridiculous people looked, Mm -hmm. that they had drank way too much, and they were talking crazy and walking crazy. And um, so after we left and we were driving home, I said, you know, I didn't enjoy that at all. And Dan (laughs) said, you know, I didn't either. He said, I don't think we should do that anymore, but we could go for just one hour Mm -hmm. and then leave before it gets crazy. So we found out that going to our Sunday school class parties I didn't mention that, but we we joined a church there that one of our neighbors um, went to and um, got into the sweetest Sunday school group. And we had parties where we did 
watermelon seeds spitting and uh, <laughs> c- crazy games that were just fun and wholesome. And we had more fun with them than we ever did at the officers' club. <laughs> that is a big difference. Were your were any of your kids still at home after y'all were saved? Yes. Uh, my stepson was living with his mom at the time, uh, but my son and daughter lived with us, and they did attend church with us, mm-hmm. um, my daughter more so than my son, mm-hmm. but um, they uh, both now are saved, and my daughter goes to a small Baptist church in a little town called Ferris, Oklahoma. And uh, my son doesn't attend church regularly, but he and I have conversations about the Lord, and he reads and prays with his children at night. Mm -hmm. So I keep praying that he'll make a full commitment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. I was just wondering if they were still there because they got they got to see, I'm sure, firsthand a transformation Mm -hmm. in you and Dan, and I know that. Well, obviously, it made a lasting impact because they're walking with him today. Mm-hmm. So, well, I want to talk just a little bit about your experience as a single mom. Um, I like to ask ladies on the show what particular challenges they've faced in their homemaking journey. And I, I you were always a working mom, and um, but particularly as a single working mother trying to provide for your children and manage a household. What were some of the challenges of that experience and how did you work through them? Well, like I said earlier, um, when I had to travel, I had a lot of help and occasionally um, my my parents would, would come by and bring a meal or something. Um, I had a hard time sleeping mm. at first, living alone, and so I would read until uh, midnight or 1 a.m., and uh, then I would wake up um, in the morning as late as I could. I'd probably hit the alarm button several times, and uh, thankfully I had the, the kids' clothes and everything packed from the night before, and I would get dressed really quickly, grab their clothing bag, put them in the car in their pajamas, and sometimes I still had hot rollers in my hair, and we took <laughs> off, and I dropped them off and, and somehow managed to make it to work. And at my retirement party, when I had my opportunity to talk, and I did a lot of talking about the Lord, mm. um, but I said it was only by God's grace that this woman, who is not a morning person, was able to get up and get to work for 33 and a half years. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So um, once you had Dan um, as a partner in life and, and y'all were raising your two kids uh, full-time, they, they were with you full-time, yes. correct? Um, well, then what were some of the things that you were able to do? Because you're a very organized person, I think. Mm-hmm. You're very organized. What were maybe some of the things that you were able to do um, during those years of you know the busy uh, elementary and high school years, and you're still working at this point, and just 
daily keeping your household running? Are you a meal planner? I somewhat, yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, I tried to keep things simple. Yeah. And um, planning the meals was important. Um, fortunately, when when Dan and I were married um, in Germany, it was even easier because we had a lot of cookouts with our neighbors oh, yeah. for dinner. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and then in Oklahoma, we had a lot of places where we could pick up barbecue to go or whatever. So mm-hmm. some nights I would choose to do that. But the great thing about Oklahoma was that we bought a home that was just a few miles east of the base. It was a fairly new subdivision with large lots. And it took me less than 10 minutes to drive to work and home. Nice. And that just gave me a lot more time Mm. during the evening. Because you weren't spending an hour or so in traffic commuting. Right. Yeah. That would make a big difference. So as a believing homemaker, um, it was kind of on the tail end of your children. They were probably getting ready to move out because this was 91 that you were saved. Uh, what were, how do you, or how did you keep your spiritual growth a priority? Because I imagine you were just on fire and ready to read all the things and study and, but you still had commitments, um, teenagers and a job and a home to run. So what are some of the things you did to prioritize your spiritual growth? Um, you know, basically just going to church every Sunday and, um, that sweet Baptist church that we joined had a Wednesday evening prayer time and dinner. Oh, oh I love uh, so, that. Yes. I miss that so much. <laughs> and that was such a nice break from worrying about what am I going to plan for yes. the week's dinner? Because having that middle of the week time, I think we paid $5 mm-hmm. for a meal that was just absolutely wonderful. Oh, yeah. All homemade. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Oh, goodness. When did you first start getting really interested in Bible study? Because that's a big part of your life now. It is. um, Actually, going back to Oklahoma, I was also attending college in the evenings. Uh, It was once a week, but I had homework. So I was doing a lot of that at the same time. And it was Southern Nazarene College. It was a, a university. It was a real, really nice uh, one. And they took all my credits from all the classes I'd taken in San Antonio and different places. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't do any ladies' Bible studies, uh, but we had a wonderful Sunday school lesson Um You've probably experienced those. There were quarterlies, mm-hmm. and there was uh, you could read it during the week, so yep. you could discuss it on Sundays. And those were just really um, wonderful for me at the time, yeah. and just about the right amount that I needed. But when we moved to San Antonio, I started going to uh, Bible study classes, and I took um, Romans and... John, and they were precept studies, so Mm -hmm. they included a lot of homework. a lot. Yep. Yep. But thankfully, like you said, my kids were, they had actually, um, my daughter got married and and moved with her Navy guy that she went to high school with, so they were in Virginia. 
And when my son found out we were moving back to San Antonio, he was working part-time for a company and found out they had a shop here in San Antonio. So he transferred and moved in with my parents. Oh, wow. So we became empty nesters suddenly. Like that year. All at once. <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow. So there we had just the two of us. And so I could do those Bible studies mm-hmm. and have time to do homework. And um, it was actually during one of those Bible studies that we were looking at different scriptures. And I came across Deuteronomy 6 and 7. I can't quote the scripture right off the top of my head, but it was, you know, write it on your doorpost, Mm -hmm. uh, tell it when you're walking with your children. And so I just felt like the Lord was saying, um, write a book so that you can share with your children and grandchildren, which I didn't have any yet, Mm -hmm. um, what I've taught you. Mm. And I started writing, and I had chapters that I wrote, and I recorded them on floppy disk. (laughs) And so they sat for a few years, and then I had to transfer them to another media (laughs) and uh, finally got up to date. And then fast forward to, I don't remember, 20... Fifteen. You were you were working on it when I I moved here in 2013, and I remember that you were working on your book around that time or right after I came. Right, actually, it was 2012 when Judy Waters started. Um, she advertised anybody that would like to learn to write memoirs mm-hmm. that she was giving a class. And so I signed up for the class. Um, I'm still part of that group. Now we call it Legacy Writers. Mm-hmm. And you did publish a book. of It's a memoir of your life um, and what God has taught you. And so if anybody's interested in reading Betty's story, we'll link all that in the show notes so they can get a copy of the book. So I think that's such a wonderful legacy to leave. Uh, for your children and your grandchildren to have something in writing. It's part of why I do this show is it'll always be there for your grandchildren to go back and listen one day, everybody that's been on the show. But to have a book, have it in written form is is also really wonderful. So I Thank you. I, I will say this. Um, my granddaughter, Molly, who is 14 now, came to my book signing party And did the twist with me because it was just kind of one of those nostalgic things we thought would be fun. And her mother took a picture of her that night um, laying in bed reading my book. Oh. And then she texted me the next day and she said, Mimi, I am so excited about your book and I can't wait to go to school Monday and tell my teacher that my grandmother is now an author. Oh, wow. (laughs) That's wonderful. That was so sweet. That is very sweet. We will get back to Betty's story in just a few minutes. Right now, it's time for Historical Homemaker Hints. This is the part of the podcast where we highlight some of the helpful and not so helpful hints doled out to homemakers throughout history. 
Today's hints come from the post-wartime pamphlet, 1003 Household Hints and Worksavers, published and distributed by Bankers Community Service Company in 1948. I've chosen hints for this episode from the chapter titled Shortcuts and Wife Savers that take the ache out of house cleaning. How to keep your home spick span and sparkling on fewer dollars, less work, and far less time. When it comes to floor cleaning tools, keep these suggestions in mind. Add new life to fiber brooms by washing them occasionally in two quarts warm water to which have been added four tablespoons of household ammonia. Let the bristles soak in this for half an hour. Rinse in clear warm water and then hang to dry. Also, never stand a broom or brush on its bristles in the closet. Screw a cup hook at the end of the handle and hang it up so the bristles don't touch the floor. This prevents the brush from losing its shape or wearing out sooner than necessary. Okay, first of all, I don't think I would screw a hook to the top of the broom handle. That just seems like a puncture wound waiting to happen. Many broom handles have a hole or a notch in the top already for hanging, but if yours does not, simply drill a small hole at the top and then add a sturdy piece of ribbon or leather strap by which to hang the broom on a nail or a command hook. Now, about the broom cleaning. This is likely an often neglected task. It's not something that I do very often, but if you think about where, what, and how much your broom sweeps up, you will likely start adding this to your regular routine. I mean, it's really kind of (laughs) gross. My broom can get pretty nasty with dust bunnies and hair and food and all kinds of things. So I think I'm definitely going to try this. And you really don't need the ammonia. A simple soak in warm soapy water will do the trick. Just make sure that you shake off as much dust and hair as you can before you soak it in the water or else you'll have just a really hairy, muddy mess on your hands. And then after the soak is done, rinse it well to remove all the soap and then dry it with the bristles facing down in the sun if possible. You don't want to dry it with the bristles facing up because the water will then seep down into whatever mechanism is holding your bristles together, whether it's like a piece of metal stripping or a wooden topper or whatever, and it can warp that. So you always want to dry with the bristles facing down. And if you put it on the in the sun to dry, it's not only going to dry quicker, but the sun does have some disinfecting properties. So it will help to further disinfect your broom. Also, while we're talking about disinfecting, don't forget to wipe down the handle of the broom and disinfect that as well. Now let's talk dust. Don't shake your dust mop out the window if you want your neighbors to love you. Tie a big paper bag around the mop head and shake vigorously. Then throw the bag and the dust away. The debate over whether or not to have faux flowers in your home is hot and heated, probably not something that we're going to resolve here today. I personally think there is room for both real and artificial flowers in the home, but it is important that you take care of your artificial flowers because nothing says fake more than a big, thick layer of disgusting dust on your flowers. So here's a suggestion from our little guide. Artificial flowers look garden fresh again when you remove accumulated dust this clever way. Put the flowers in a paper sack with a cup of cornmeal, then shake. Now look at those flowers. Aren't they wonderful? 
Make your own treated dusters this way. Dip 18-inch cheesecloth squares in a solution of two cups hot water and one quarter cup lemon oil. Squeeze out excess liquid and dry. Now, I did look this up on the internet and there were several recipes for DIY lemon dusting cloths. The idea is basically the same as what is suggested here. Most of the modern recipes call for one part water to one part vinegar, juice and rind of one lemon, and then a tablespoon or so of olive oil. You would then soak 100% cotton cloths in this mixture for a couple of hours, remove the cloths, wring out most of the moisture, and then hang them until fully dry, preferably in the sun. Then you can use those dried cloths to dust without needing to use any dusting spray. After you've dusted with them once, you can clean them in warm soapy water and then just go through the lemon soaking treatment again if you want to keep using those cloths. And while we are talking about dusting, never use furniture polish or oil on the case of your piano. Dust with a soft, untreated cloth. Well, that's all for today's historical homemaking hints. As always, these hints are for entertainment purposes only, and we leave it up to you, the listener, to determine the safety and soundness of this advice. Now back to Betty's story. Well, I want to talk to you a little bit about hospitality. Um, We cultivate a place to belong for the people who live here and the people that God brings through our door, you know, for an hour or for a a weekend or for a week. What are some of the ways that you showed hospitality in your homemaking? We actually started um, when we joined Smithson Valley Church. Mm -hmm. We did host people in our home uh, previous times, but, but... but this particular time in our life was just so special. Uh, there were maybe 80 people at church on a given Sunday, and um, we just wanted to get to know everyone, and others felt the same way. So um, one of the young ladies and I talked about it and decided to start doing dinners for eight. And uh, the concept was that one couple would host, and then um, whoever attended then would in turn host another dinner for eight and kind of try to get everyone from the church involved. Oh. So that was really a blessing, and we we enjoyed having several couples over for dinner several times. Did you host a different—so you would have a group of eight, and then— the guests from there would invite the same group or they would invite different normally of- they would invite different groups okay. but i think what we did was the host would go also and attend with them and some others oh okay so okay. it kind of it just mixed up the mixed groups up. and mm-hmm. oh, that's really that's a yeah. good idea i like yeah. that yeah uh we've done um similar things with our car club and our community group. Okay, and I want to know about this car club. What is this like collecting old cars? Is that Tell me what this is. <laughs> okay. This is a club. It's called the Blue Bonnet Miata Club. These are little cars made by Mazda that um, are convertible and they are 
pretty much come in primary colors. And uh, Dan bought our first one probably in 2010 or maybe even sooner. And uh, we heard about the club, and so we meet with them once a month. There's about 200 members in wow. that club, and it's uh, the a lot of them are couples. But we get together, and we do, like, state events where we invite people from all over Texas to come and and we do fun things like gimmick runs and just um, runs through the hill country or wherever we happen to be. And then we have dinners and uh, other social events. Okay, so I'm imagining this, a run, like a drive, like you get in a line with all your Miatas and you have like a caravan. Exactly. Oh, that's so fun. <laughs> okay. Exactly. And do they even make this car anymore? It, yes. Oh, they still, still make still them. Still made okay. and sold. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Continue. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and so, yes, uh, a run could be a two or three hour drive or with, it could be five to seven cars or it could be up to 20 cars. Wow. Um, we've had them that were longer than that, but they get a little tougher to manage, especially yeah. <laughs> when you're going through town or something. Sure. One of the things I think is easy to to do for um, a dinner is just offer up your home, the entree, and some drinks, mm-hmm. and ask each couple to bring something. So usually I'll just say, who wants to bring a side dish? Who wants to bring dessert? Who wants to bring a salad? And it makes it easier for us, and sure, and they enjoy being able to bring their favorite mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. Most people want to bring something, right? You know, they're. Are you sure I can't bring anything? It just makes them feel a part of. You know, they get to help host in that way. And they get to be a part of it. Yes, that is a really good idea. That's cool. Yeah. Well, how do you? It sounds like you guys are already definitely building community. Um, within your car club, but how have you seen having a home, having people in your home, extending hospitality, how does that help build community? You know, with with the neighbors, um, we don't harp on it or dwell on it, but <clears throat> we try to work it into the conversation mm-hmm. um, of our faith in the Lord. And I think just from some of the pictures and um, things that we have sitting around the house that that they know that we love Jesus. Yeah, we do um, get each other's mail and bring each other's trash cans in mm-hmm. and uh, things like that. And uh, we don't really know all our neighbors real well, but at least uh, two of the couples, uh, two of the homes, we know. Uh, well, and and my goal is to get more involved in the new couple that live right next door and mm-hmm. and the couple that live across the street. Yeah, that's a good goal. And doing things like bringing in their trash when they're at town and picking up their mail, that's a great way to serve them and enter mm-hmm. into relationships that's it's very non-threatening and it's just a, a really easy, anybody can do that. So right. That's a, that's a really great suggestion. Um, because a lot of times it's just a matter of saying, hey, I'm here. 
I live right next door. If you need anything, please call me. Give you know, give them your your number and say, text me if you need anything, and I'll pick up your mail when you're out of town. And it just opens the door to start conversations. That's really good. Well, let's talk about the seasons of homemaking. I know it was a big transition to go from almost ten years of being a single mom to marrying Dan. Was that rocky at times? <laughs> well, um, a little bit. I was hesitant to let Dan come in and just take over because I was afraid the kids would rebel. Mm. And I thought it was tough enough that we took them away from all their friends that they grew up with in San Antonio mm. and then moved them to West Germany yeah. and or to West Berlin, which was was kind of in East Germany, but... Uh-huh. Um, so I probably could have done a better job of that, but we weren't believers then. Mm -hmm. And so we had some struggles that probably we wouldn't have had if we'd been believers and been able to sit down and pray about those things and come to decisions together about how can we balance this out. I know um, you mentioned on some of the correspondence that we had before that your motto right now is to work less and love more. Yes. So what does that mean? It means that um, working less, actually I meant working less at home. Um, We thought about redecorating our house and remodeling the kitchen and things like that once we got the house paid off. And now I'm just thinking, you know, that's just so time consuming Mm -hmm. and it's not that important anymore. And I would rather just be out there working for the Lord. And to me, that's love. Mm. And, um, serving others and serving at the church instead of being um, kind of a slave to my home. I would, you know, I loved decorating it when we first built it, but I just feel like I could get too caught up in something like that and and not do the things that the Lord would have me do. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's very wise. Very wise. I mean, you have the perspective of age and, you know, I mean, I'm almost 50. And so the older I get, I'm coming along to that way of thinking of just, Mm -hmm. I love things and I love to create beautiful environments and and I want to make space for that. But I could easily get caught up and carried away with all of those things Mm -hmm. that just really aren't that important. And I'd I'd rather be doing, doing other things, loving people. Yes, that's that's, a good word. That's great. Let's talk a little bit about homemaking tasks. This is a Q and A, just kind of a rapid fire um, time, and you can give me a one word answer, or you can tell me a story if you would like. So, what is a homemaking task that you love? Preparing for visitors. Oh yeah. Well, how about a homemaking task that you hate? Um, Actually, it's it's. Cleaning, thorough cleaning of the bathrooms and 
the floors. <laughs> yes. That's why I have the three-hour-a-month lady. <laughs> I completely understand. That's hard work. How about a homemaking task that you grew to love over time? Well, I could say cooking to some degree, although baking is my favorite part of cooking. Mm-hmm. And uh, I I like to make cakes and make them for family and friends' birthdays and yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah. What is your worst homemaking fail? Probably not keeping up with the dusting as often as I should. <laughs> it's very dusty here, though. I, we've had this conversation before on the show. It, it, San Antonio, is it's dry. We don't get a lot of rain here. Um, I mean, we get rain, but like it's twice a year and all at once. <laughs> right. The rest of the time, it's it's very dry and dusty. It's, it's almost a little desert-like. So the dust collects pretty quickly. So I understand. What about a memorable homemaking achievement, something you're proud of? Well, um, we're looking at one of the things right now. I made the window treatments for several rooms when we first um, oh, nice. had the house built. And um, it was it was a challenge because I I really had only done fairly simple sewing things before, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, they still look good. I just have to keep them clean, keep them dusted, keep them dusted. <laughs> <laughs> they are beautiful. They're like a swag, um, like a swag valance with like pretty panels cascading on the sides. Yeah, they look very professional. Good job. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right, so do you have any top homemaking tips for us? Well, you know, the number one thing that I have is for moms with young children who don't tend to hang their towels up after their baths, I would say invest in as many towel racks as you need and maybe even go out and buy each child a different color towel and make sure that they hang them up because if their little bodies are clean, they're going to be able to reuse those towels several times. Mm-hmm. And I discovered that that saved a lot of laundry time. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is a wonderful tip. And if you don't have room in your bathroom for multiple towel racks, put them in the hallway. Put them in the hallway. <laughs> Absolutely. (laughs) There's no reason why you can't do that. That's a great (laughs) tip. Well, let's talk about the art of home. That's the name of the show. That's what we talk about. That It's like practicing any art form. You don't just know how to do it automatically. You have to practice. You have to get better at it and you have to learn. So how do you see homemaking as an art? Well, to me now, it's just um, displaying things that speak of my faith and displaying pictures of family. Um, When my grandkids were very young, we, four of the grandkids uh, were here and we went to JCPenney's and, and I took a picture with them and one of them forgot shoes (laughs) 
<laughs> and so we all took our shoes off and <laughs> took a picture together. And that one's still over in front of my fireplace. Oh. How do you find beauty in the mundane work of homemaking and keeping up a home? And Well, I think just keeping up the home just makes it more pleasant for me and makes my husband happier. And um, like I said, if it's if it's a mundane task, then I just ask for praise and worship music, mm-hmm. and the time just goes by really fast. Yeah, yeah. Cleaning time is a great opportunity to also worship the Lord. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it is. That's a good. And to thank Him for this home. Yes. I, that is one of the things that I... I try to do, and anytime I feel discouraged about anything, it's like this thought pops into my mind, just count your blessings first. And uh, when I was a little girl, going to church with my parents, there were some good things I remember from from those days. Um, They had a traveling preacher that would come, and he would play his guitar, and sing songs. And one of the songs he always sang was, Thank you, Lord, for your blessings on me. Mm -hmm. And it's something like, There's a roof up above me. I have a good place to sleep. There's food on my table and shoes on my feet. Um, Thank you, Lord, for your blessings on me. You already answered my next question, which was why was gratitude so important for the homemaker? Because if we're not Mm -hmm. thankful, then we become bitter, especially when we're doing the the mundane tasks and doing the laundry again and doing the dishes again and making another meal. It it can easily turn into bitterness if we're not grateful and thankful. So true. And, you know, I I was raised in a very... um, humble home. It was really a small one-bedroom home, and my grandfather lived with us, too. Mm. Um, And even as I was an older child, we did eventually move to a little bit larger home. And then my dad actually started his business, thanks to the Lord, and, um, and we were able to do a lot more than we could before. Mm-hmm. But I always think back to those humble beginnings when up until I was about eight years old, um, we took baths in a tub and our outhouse was there for necessities. And um, so... It's pretty easy for me to be grateful yeah. <laughs> for a home with plenty of space and two bathrooms. Mm-hmm. So We need support in our homemaking. We need support um, as women. What are some of the ways that you were able to foster community and, and support with other women over the years? I've, um, I've had small groups of ladies... Um, come over for lunch, maybe ladies that met at Bible study or Mm -hmm. through church. 
Um, and and I've been willing to meet one-on-one with younger ladies who are maybe struggling with a specific issue, just sharing with them what the Lord's taught me. And Yeah. So what would you tell that younger woman coming behind you? What advice would you give her for her journey of, of making a home and a family? Oh, I would probably just go back to, I don't know where the scripture is, but I think it's in Colossians about um, in everything you do, work as though you're working for the Lord. Mm -hmm. Because if we we work joyfully and and we make our home a joyful place Mm -hmm. to live, then um, it creates a better atmosphere for... um, harmony and um, just being thankful. Yes. Yes. I love that you use the word atmosphere because that's what we're creating um, in our homemaking. We're creating a certain kind of atmosphere and it's not just with the paint on the walls and the pictures that we hang. It's with our attitudes and Mm -hmm. our words and our actions. Um, And it's either an atmosphere that says, welcome, you belong here, or it's an atmosphere that is not welcoming, <laughs> right? And is stressful and doesn't bring peace and joy and all of those things, right? So, and the goal is to have a place where everyone wants to be here and feels very comfortable and mm-hmm. and feels the welcome. Pres- feels the presence of the Lord. That's the goal, right? Yes. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story of home. Well, you're so welcome, and it was such a pleasure. I I will tell you, I was apprehensive, but uh, you made it so easy. <laughs> I'm so glad. Thank you very much, Betty. Thank you so much for joining me today for this homemaker portrait of Betty Hicks. A couple of things stand out to me from this conversation. First, that it is never too late for God to capture a heart. Though her parents prayed faithfully for years for Betty, it took until she was over 40 years old before she finally surrendered her life to Christ. So if you have a child or a loved one who has walked away from or rejected Christ, don't give up. Keep praying. Keep loving them. Keep the avenues of communication open. Second, Betty shared several practical ideas for extending hospitality. I loved the dinner for eight idea, and of course, the idea of providing the home in the main dish and then letting your guests bring the other components for the meal. We practice this with our community group that meets every week. It eases the burden on the host family, and it allows everyone to bring a favorite dish or drink or dessert or something that they love and they want to share with the group. I have found some really great recipes and products through these types of communally supplied tables. Having your guest bring a dish to share really takes the pressure off of you, the hostess. You don't have to do it all. I hope this conversation has encouraged you and inspired you to do all of your homemaking as unto the Lord. If you have found value in this episode, would you consider giving the show some love in one of the following ways? Share with a homemaker that you know who could use some encouragement. Leave us a rating and a review on your listening app. And finally, you can leave us a tip in our virtual tip jar, Buy Me a Coffee. 
tips are given in $5 increments as one, two, three, or more coffees. You can give as many or as few as you would like. Go to buymeacoffee.com slash theartofhome and thank you for all your support. Don't forget to sign up for our Homemaker Happy Mail. It's going to go out this Friday morning with lots of interesting links and roundup resources and all kinds of things. Just use that link below or go to theartofhomepodcast.com slash subscribe. Well, that's all for today's episode. I will be back next Wednesday with the season nine finale, a brand new in the trenches homemaker portrait with my friend, Michelle. I know you're going to love that conversation. Until then, keep practicing your art of making a home.